If I were to ask you to think about your spiritual journey for just a moment and how it is you came to faith, would you say that your spiritual growth came about privately in a more isolated place? Or would you say that it came about in community because someone else made an investment in you spiritually? My guess is that most of us began to grow in our faith because of a relationship that we had with another person. Maybe it was a, a parent who pointed you to Christ or a Sunday school teacher or a, a youth minister. Or perhaps you began to grow in a college ministry. It's very rare that you see someone come to faith in Christ all by themselves and without any influence from other people. It's God, by his spirit, who uses people to make that impact in our lives. Some may come along and, and plant the seeds of the gospel, and then others may come along and water it, and then the Holy Spirit may use another person to then come and sow the seed, and then it's ultimately God who reaps and brings forth that spiritual harvest in us. I came to understand the gospel when God enlightened my heart to the things of him. And I was a freshman in college at Texas State University there in San Marcos. And it was during that freshman year when my older brother Josh, he challenged me to read God's word. And he shared the gospel with me. And then I started attending a college ministry there, fellowship of Christian athletes, and these older men began to disciple me in the Word of God, spiritually mature guys. And it wasn't so much what they were saying, it was who they were in Christ that attracted me to the things of Christianity. One guy was on the track team, Tim Kennedy. Another FCA leader was this former NFL lineman with the San Francisco 49ers, Bruce Colley, and then my older brother Josh, a swimmer at UT. And God was using all of these men to build into my life. And they were modeling to me what a Christian man looked like. And they weren't just boring Bible beaters, but godly men who were athletic and funny and winsome and most of all, they had a righteousness from Christ that I wanted too in my own life. And these men had left a, an impact, a spiritual impact in my life for which I am forever grateful. They tossed a rock into the spiritually placid waters of my life. And that initial impact was significant as I came to place my faith in Christ alone but then there was more as that impact caused little spiritual ripples to go forth out of my life and into the lives of others. And I pray that God, by his grace, would continue to see his word and his love ripple out from me into the lives of my family and my church family to God's glory and to the furtherance of his kingdom 
And I believe that God has called each one of us here to make a spiritual impact for Christ in the lives of those around us. How do we do that? When I think about the Apostle Paul and I look at his life and consider his spiritual legacy, I first think of the impact that he had on young Timothy. On Paul's first missionary journey, he and Barnabas had established churches in cities like Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. And then they go back on their second missionary tour, their second missionary journey, and they check in on these churches. And it appears that on that first tour in Acts 14, a young man comes to Christ named Timothy. And we meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16. The author of Acts, Dr. Luke, introduces us to this young believer. And we see there in Acts chapter 16, verse 1, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. We see from Timothy that in order to make a spiritual impact, we must first know who we are in Christ and how God has uniquely made us. This young man, Timothy, had an interesting background. And we can see a little more of his unique identity, his unique family in 2 Timothy, when Paul writes to him in chapter 1, verse 5. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. Timothy's mother, Eunice, found herself in a bit of a tough situation because she had married outside the Jewish faith to a Greek man. Timothy's father didn't believe in the God of Israel, but apparently he had made some kind of an arrangement or agreement with his wife. And basically, he said to Eunice, I will let you and your mother, Lois, Teach our son Timothy, but he will not be circumcised. And circumcision was the sign of the Jewish faith. You can teach our son the Old Testament, and you can take him to the synagogue as, as much as you want, but I want my boy to remain a Greek. Timothy had a Greek name with a Jewish or Hebrew undertone, Time Theos. Time means honor, and Theos means God. So he is named to honor the one true God, Timothy. And this mother, Eunice, and the grandmother, Lois, they had a reverence for God and for the scriptures, but perhaps they had not yet come to faith. And then the apostle Paul comes along on that first missionary journey and says there's more than just the Old Testament. And he introduces the family to Christ. And suddenly we see a course correction in the legacy of three generations. Grandma Lois, Mama Eunice, and now young Timothy. We never hear about 
Timothy's father. But these two women and Timothy become like a second family to the Apostle Paul. And Timothy was a young person. There's different places, different commentaries that try to determine his age, but we know he was probably late teens, early 20s, and, and he was a lot like many of our students here that we've been honoring. And he had a unique background and heritage, but he didn't let any of that keep him from making an impact for Christ. Paul later reminds Timothy that his young age shouldn't affect the spiritual impact that he could have for Christ. And we see this in 1 Timothy 4.12, where Paul tells him, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. So we must not let things like our background, our current circumstances, or what others may think of us, hold us back from becoming, that all, becoming all that God has for us as his followers. Like Timothy, God wants us to live our lives in such a way that glorifies him. A life that reflects Christ in our speech, our love, our faith, our purity, and our conduct. We see uh, Timothy's godly reputation again here in, in chapter 16 of Acts, where it says, And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this young man to go with him. And that brings us to our second point. We should ask God for a Paul who is ahead of us spiritually to disciple us and mentor us. Timothy was more than just this little boy who knew his Bible. No, he was well spoken of by these believers in Lystra and Iconium. And as parents and youth leaders, this is what we desire for our young people. We want to raise them and develop them, not toward notoriety or athletic achievement or academic glory, but raise them and point them to true godliness and true greatness in God's sight. Our aim is to launch them out into this world to be used by the Lord in such a way that glorifies him and then to see them pass on their own godly legacy to the next generation. And that's what happens here as Timothy leaves the home of his parents, what some of you graduates are about to do, to embrace your faith as your own and then continue that spiritual journey into adulthood and maturity in Christ. And like Paul did with Timothy, we must look to these young people and encourage them and affirm the spiritual gifts that we see in them. Paul saw in Timothy various gifts like shepherding and preaching and teaching. And he sought to develop these gifts by taking young Timothy along with him 
as his intern and his protege. Paul likely had a great influence on Timothy coming to Christ, but his reputation, Timothy's reputation and his character were forged in the home of his mother and his grandmother. From a young boy, these pious Jewish women were teaching Timothy the Old Testament and bringing him up in the scriptures in the home. And this allowed Timothy to have such an effective ministry later on to the Jewish people. And then Paul comes along later and, and likely says, Timothy, it's great that you have the Old Testament and a, and a healthy reverence for God, but let me show you how all of the Old Testament, all of the Old Testament law reveals to us our sin and points to us our need for a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. So we, like Timothy, need a Paul in our lives. We need spiritual mentors. And we should also seek out a Barnabas or a Silas who can walk alongside us in life. Look at Acts 16, verse 4. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. Paul sees this young man, Timothy, comes to, come to Christ and he begins to disciple him and take him under his wing spiritually as they go from town to town where Paul had established churches during that first missionary journey. And they were seeking to fortify these churches, but they were also passing along these guidelines on how it is they should now live as believers. And these decrees were from this recent conference or council in Acts 15 called the Jerusalem Council. And as Paul and Timothy were making the rounds at these churches, their relationship evolves and they become partners and co-laborers in the gospel together, along with Silas and Barnabas before him. Paul later refers to Timothy as his fellow worker in Romans 16, 21. And then Paul eventually has Timothy take over his most dynamic church, the Ephesian church. Ministry was hard for Paul and difficult, to say the least. And Paul realized the importance of having some close companions and friends and partners in life and in ministry. Kara and I were uh, able to run in a, in a marathon 16 years ago in 2001 in Washington, D.C. And marathons, as some of you know, are painful experiences. And it makes all the difference if you're running the race with someone else. And it was also a very sobering experience as well to run in our nation's capital just a month after 9-11. And thousands of runners were chanting USA at the beginning of the race. But then miles later, everyone was running in silence, reverently 
running past, the large American flag which draped the blackened hole on the west side of the Pentagon building. And it was very inspiring at that race to hear the support from the crowds in D.C. And Kara's parents were there as well, spurring us on and saying, good job, keep going. We need these supporters on the sidelines of our life as well. People telling you, keep it up just a little bit longer. You're looking good. Don't stop. Finish strong. In contrast, four years before that, I ran in another marathon in 1997 in Austin. I've been retired for a long time, but that race was so much harder because I was running all alone. There may have been some nice crowds there at the beginning and at the end of the race, but it was that middle section, miles 10 through 15, that were so difficult as the course took us through some quiet neighborhoods there in Austin. And during this part of the race, there were no water stations for miles, no Lincoln Memorial to distract you from the pain, no high school bands playing the, the Rocky theme to pump you up. And it seemed like the only supporter on this quiet section was one guy sitting on the sidewalk in front of his house in his lawn chair, reading his newspaper, not even looking up as you ran by. <laughs> it was a lonely stretch. And ministry and life can be a lonely place. So we all need those good companions. A Barnabas, a Silas, good friends and spiritual equals to come alongside us and to sharpen us spiritually as iron sharpens iron, Proverbs 27, 17. And these men were more than just spiritual recruits that, that Paul had discovered. No, they had been providentially placed in Paul's life to support him, to challenge him, to stretch him during these new challenges in ministry. And finally, we must pray for Timothy, someone that we can encourage, someone that is a little bit younger than us spiritually, that we can disciple and strengthen in the faith. Paul had discipled Timothy, so he considered himself a spiritual father to Timothy. He calls Timothy in 1 Timothy 1-2 his true child, and then in 2 Timothy 1-2 his beloved son. Paul had been impressed by this young man and his teachable spirit, his love for God's word, and his godly reputation. And he said to Timothy, I want you to join my missionary team. But something else needed to happen first. Look back at verse 3. Paul wanted this young man to go with him, and he took him. And circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. To go with Paul, Timothy first needed to get circumcised. That's not necessarily the most fun step of the discipleship journey. But circumcision was at the heart 
of these decrees that I just mentioned from Acts 15, these decrees that Paul and Timothy were about to be passing around that said circumcision was not required for salvation. Under Jewish law, a person was considered Jewish if their mother was Jewish. And since Timothy's mother was Jewish, he would have been technically seen as a Jew. So why did Timothy have to go through all of this? Well, Paul knew that if Timothy was going to be serving alongside him, he needed to take this step because Paul's method of teaching and preaching first involved going into the synagogues to preach to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So Paul is saying here to Timothy, if you are going to be serving alongside me, ministering alongside me to the Jews in the synagogues, they know that you have a Greek father and they are not going to listen to you. And you won't be accepted as fully Jewish until you take this step. So let's get that over with for the greater mission strategy. Again, not for your salvation, but so that it would not be a stumbling block to the Jews who are going to hear you preach Christ. Paul wanted Timothy to have the same attitude that Paul had in 1 Corinthians 9.22. I have become all things to all men, so that I might by all means save or win some. It's a reminder that we should never try to be someone that we are not to reach others for Christ. But we should also seek whenever possible to remove any hindrances, any roadblocks or obstacles to someone else's reception of the gospel. We shouldn't add things to the gospel and say it's Christ plus doing these other things. No, it's Christ plus nothing else. So who is your Timothy? Maybe your Timothy is your own child. Maybe it's a group of your child's friends that you can invite over to your house once a week for a Bible study and study the word together and share some of your wisdom that you have gained in your life. For others, maybe having a Timothy is through serving in the children's ministry or in the student ministry like many here do every Sunday. Maybe it's volunteering at our vacation Bible school next month. And some people think, you know, I, I, I'm not quite there yet. I don't think I really have that much to offer someone else. But if, if we have been walking with Christ for a number of years, there are Timothys in our midst that would love to have someone like you to walk alongside them, to encourage them, to pray for them as a spiritual mentor. They would love to have a Paul or a Pauline like you to invest in them with the love of Christ. And we don't say to them, I think you need to be my Timothy. No, we ask them, would you be interested in getting together for coffee, to look at God's word together, to pray for one another, 
And I want you to pray about someone that you can approach. And we would love to help provide some of these discipleship resources for you to initiate that kind of relationship. And what happens when we pour our life spiritually into the lives of others? What happens? Verse 5 happens, Acts 16. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. I love the order of those statements. The people were first being strengthened in their faith and then growth was taking place. That Greek word for strengthen means to be made solid or firm. And this strengthening and spiritual investment resulted in their numbers growing daily. My prayer for this campus here at Wayside Stone Oak is that we would increase daily and weekly, not with the priority on numbers, but with the priority and emphasis on strengthening and equipping our people spiritually. And the challenge for us, myself included, is to be praying that God would give us a spiritual burden for our community, that God would place in our hearts, maybe it's three to five people, maybe it's, it's one family that I can pray for and that I can encourage and invite them to church or invite them over to our house for dinner, invite them to our small group and begin building a friendship with them that leads to spiritual conversations. And one great opportunity for this is coming up this summer, a great opportunity for us to outreach into our community, and it's on July the 14th and the 15th, and it's called FAM Camp, okay, Family Camp, FAM Camp. It's a Friday night right in here and then a Saturday morning, and we want you all and we challenge you all to begin praying about Someone that you can invite, maybe it's, a, maybe it's an individual, maybe it's a family, to come and experience a fun camp experience with you. We're going to be in here for worship. We're going to uh, have time in God's word. We're going to do all kinds of, of fun activities, you know, campfire, and pray about someone that you can invite to fam camp to share the love of Christ with them. And we'll have more information about that and, and postcard for you to hand out. In, in the coming weeks. Another opportunity that we have this fall to make an impact internationally is to join me and a team on a mission trip to Guatemala City. And that's in early November. We leave on a Tuesday, we get back on a Sunday, and we spend a great couple of days serving families that live in and around this large city dump right there in the, in the heart of Guatemala City. And I've been on this trip a, a couple of times, and it's a great opportunity just to share the love of Christ, to share the hope of Christ with these families. So pray about joining us for that trip in November. There's also a great class coming up in the fall called Perspectives. It's going to be at the 410 campus. Matt Gruber right here in the third row is facilitating that class we're going to hear more from him in the coming weeks. Uh, there's also information there in your bulletin. But this is going to be a great class. I think it's 14 weeks that will further widen our perspective on God's heart to see 
that all people are reached with the gospel. And you can read more about that in the bulletin and on our website. But it's going to be a great opportunity. Talk to Matt after our service as well. This has been one of the greatest joys of my life to see God launch this campus here at Wayside Stone Oak. I love you all. I love this church. I love the gathering of the body of Christ here on Sunday mornings for worship and prayer and fellowship. But we must not see the church as these four walls and these 18 acres. This is where we gather to worship Christ and to hear from God through his word, through prayer, through fellowship with others. But the church is out there where you are. The church is out there in the city, in your workplace, in your school, Monday through Friday. We don't want to be just about ministry to you, but ministry through you. This is an oasis. This is a, a training ground. But it's not a, it's not a seminary. It's not a classroom. But a launch pad, a missions board, a sending agency to equip you to go and do the work of the gospel in the power of the Spirit right where God has you. And that's the desire of my heart, to see the work of the church take place in your neighborhoods, your place of work, your schools, your spheres of influence right where you live. This is the church gathered with the intent to equip you all and then send you forth to carry out the church active. And Paul knew that this movement of Christianity would not grow by simply evangelism. He realized the importance of multiplication through discipleship, raising up disciples of Christ who are then going out and making new disciples. And like Paul, we must not just be concerned with planting the seeds of the gospel, but then nurturing and developing these young saplings like Timothy to see our students and our young people grow and mature and then bear spiritual fruit. And Timothy probably had to pinch himself as he steps out onto the boat with the Apostle Paul. And as they set sail, Timothy, he feels the wind at his face and the, the taste of the sea on his lips as they embark on this great adventure of ministry and spiritual growth together. Like Timothy, you graduating students, either high school or, or college students, you're about to step out onto your own boat of new opportunities, new areas of growth, and some of the very best and some of the most stretching and challenging years are in these next few years to come as God refines you and matures you more and more 
in Christ's likeness. It reminds me of reading about lobsters recently. Do you like to read about lobsters? <laughs> I didn't know this, but lobsters have to leave their shells in order to grow. They need the shell to protect them. But as they grow and mature, that old shell must be abandoned for a new one. If not, the old shell becomes a prison and eventually a casket. But the intimidating part for the lobsters is that in-between period after they have to leave their old familiar shells because suddenly they are in a very vulnerable place. The same with us. In order for us to grow and mature spiritually, we must shed the shell. Maybe that should have been the title of this message. Shed the shell. As we follow Christ, there comes a time when we must shed that familiar structure and framework that we've always depended upon and take that step into uncharted seas of our spiritual journey. And that can be a scary place when we're in those waves of uncertainty. But that's where growth takes place. That's where discipleship occurs. Being so committed to Christ that when he bids us to come and follow him, we will change. We will risk. We will grow and leave our shells behind for new adventures with the Lord that await us.